We welcome you to the 2021 Eschatology Series, a series that unfolds the power of ancient prophecies. Our series is based on the book of Revelation. Let's get started.
Welcome to the 2021 Eschatology Series. We are right in the middle of the book of Revelation, and we're doing a verse-by-verse study. Today we're on number 60. It's called Death of the Harlot. If you're just now joining our series, we encourage you to log on to our website at iomamerica.net. Check out our eschatology page, and you'll see videos posted there of lessons from number 1 to number 60. Let's take a look at our scripture for today. This is out of Revelation chapter 17, verses 8 through 18. Here's what it says. The beast that you saw was, and is not, and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth, whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come, stating, Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and they are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while. The beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth, and is one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, because he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. And he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw and the beast, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. The woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Let's review a little bit about the harlot's history. If you remember Clear back in the Garden of Eden, as a result of the sin of Adam and Eve, Cain became defiled. Through his self-indulgent, jealous self, he ended up murdering his brother. As a result of that, God chased him off into the land of Nod. Cain became responsible for the entire corruption that filled the earth for almost a thousand years. There was one family, however, that survived the great 
deception that was permeating the earth at this time. And of course, that was Noah and his three sons. Although one of those sons, Ham, had a wild hair up his nose, so to speak, struggled with honoring the structured authority of that of Noah. In fact, he walked in on his father naked, and as a result of this horrific sin, Noah cursed the lineage of Ham. Well, after Ham was given his consequences, he rushed off to the land of Nod. Now keep in mind, the flood had already happened, but yet here it is repeated again after the flood waters have dissipated that Ham ran off to the exact location that Cain was chased into, which became the homeland of Babylon. The Tower of Babel, known today as Iraq. By the way, not is the Lord's location that he uses to establish the great war that is going to occur, that we are now reading about in the book of Revelation. Through Ham's settlement, Nimrod, Ham's grandson, became the Babylonian Empire's father, which is spoken of from Genesis to Revelation's book. Nimrod actually married his mother, Semiramis. As Nimrod was building the Tower of Babel, she required her son-slash-husband to build a statue of herself, requiring all workers to stop and worship her once a week, thus birthing the world's first goddess. Much later, Revelation's book notes her as this great whore. Read more about that in chapter 17, verse 5. As the devil would have it, Semiramis became pregnant after sinfully indulging in an adulterous affair while being married to Nimrod. Nimrod dies a violent and untimely death around the same time, supposedly at her lover's hand. For Semiramis to capture her son's power and to hide her sin, she makes a most daring claim. She publicly declares that upon Nimrod's death, he had been resurrected as the god of the sun. As the god of sun, Nimrod used his sun rays to inseminate Semiramis with a child miraculously. The child was thus considered to be divinely conceived. The child's name was Tammuz, which she claimed was the reincarnated Nimrod. Tammuz was then tagged with being a god of fertility, embodying the power for new life. History notes that the demonic doctrine became Satan's first recorded event to replicate and ultimately replace the virgin birth of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. It is also noted that this event set off generations of women returning to the same sin Eve committed, submitting herself to a dominant, gender-neutral God, and of course that's Satan. Since Semiramis is considered the mother of all goddesses, female dominance began to populate throughout the world. To keep it simple, the events surrounding Nimrod and his wife-slash-mother 
set in motion Satan's plan to one day introduce his all-powerful great whore. The goddess movement gained momentum during the Egyptian era. Keep in mind that the Babylonian Empire established Egypt. Once Egypt became the fading civilization, Greece became the world center for the goddess movement. It was Greece that dominated all cultures with female divines and propaganda. Then in 146 BC, after Rome's conquest of Greece, Rome adopted their democratic politics and their female divines. Note, feminism can only flourish within a democracy. That's a fact. Now glancing into the future, we see Revelation's book specifically addressing Egypt, Greece, and Rome, placing all under the new Babylon label while giving credit to the great whore, the mother of all goddesses. Let's take a closer look at the Scarlet Woman. Thus far we have learned this Scarlet Woman is marked as a harlot and is the mother of all harlots. She was born under Nimrod, as we just mentioned, in ancient Babylon's leadership, and was drunk with the saint's blood. This woman is responsible for the dead in Christ who were murdered for the sake of the gospel. She is the figurehead of all religions. From Africa's jungles to the emergent Christian churches in America. She has supervised the ten kings and has influenced every nation, every religion, and all their people, and encouraging them to stray from the absolutes of God's mandates. This is what it meant by the waters which you saw, where the harlot sits. That's verse 15, if you remember. The many waters are representative of the nations, religions, and people. Her virus has infected every branch of worship, including the Christian church. We see traces of her demonic doctrine today. It could be one block down the street from you, or it could be as you are looking up to these great and mighty cathedrals that are presented as authentic churches in the world today. Well, in any case, she is the queen of hell, if you want to put it bluntly. She rides the back of Satan because he is the one ushering her into a global power. The beast she rides is the same one John talks about in chapter 13. The beast is compared to the Roman Empire. Many believe the Roman Empire or Europe will come back into full swing after the rapture. But I got news for you. It's already in full swing and the EU is very, very powerful. The EU is in the process right now of developing these ten federations of government under a united one world government. Right now, this empire is cloaked under the many global organizations and commissions. But someday, very soon, they will all unite under one single power. 
Well, verse 9 indicates that these seven heads are seven mountains. One can certainly make a close connection to the seven hills of Rome. But this empire's governance is much broader in its reach. What is clear to us is that the scarlet woman will conduct her reign from this place. Therefore, we need to watch for a female image rising from Rome's center. She will most likely be clothed in religious symbols and doctrines. My guess is that she will surface under the banner of a universal church. In verse 10, we discover five of these seven kings have fallen. One is already in existence, and the other is yet to be revealed. The seven kings probably mean the different forms of government that have come forth from the Roman Empire. Since John wrote this, when the Roman government was still in rule, this is most likely the one this passage is talking about that is in existence. That leaves one more to come, this new empire of which our passage is speaking. For a review, verse 12 says this, The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. Let's review those ten horns. These ten horns refer to men of great power and position. The term horn means king, which signifies power. There will be ten territories that these world leaders will lead. The words one hour is not a period in which they will rule in power, but rather all ten territories will be given power within one hour. Now it's up for grabs as to how long that rule will be. Could be for an hour, or it could be that within an hour all these ten kingdoms will be given power. That means the Antichrist will move quickly on his decision. And these men will not raise to power, but will be granted power through position. They exist as one force in complete agreement with the Antichrist. This is where we get the idea of world federations, which are being formed as we speak. The length of their reigns is not stated, but we know they will all be destroyed at the same time by Christ. These men will be puppets, and yes, they will be men as world leaders. In verse 14, we see that these kings will make war with the Lamb of God. With the Antichrist's help, they will be responsible for the ultimate battle over who controls Israel. Keep in mind, and always keep in mind, it's always about Israel. Well, it's going to be a puppet show history has never seen before. We will learn more about this battle in chapter 19, but as for now, know this. These puppet masters will be 
mean machines out for a pound of righteous flesh. At this point, the angel is only announcing the battle yet to come, and that these kings are propagating such a war. I am still appalled that men and beasts think they can win a war with God. I guess sin truly does make one stupid. Let's look at the earth belongs to God. Very key point in our study. God did not create this world to be filled with Satan and his followers. We find that out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 26. It says, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Well, that means it belongs to him. This is the primary reason why Satan has worked so diligently to prove otherwise. Satan does believe this earth is to be his eternal kingdom and resting place. I do believe that he thinks because God put him here, it belongs to him. I don't think he gets the part about God using the earth to provide a permanent place of punishment. And even after Satan gets his consequences, there's a good chance he'll still not understand. And even after God sets the earth on fire and he places all of his followers in the core of this earth who are going to burn for eternity, he probably still won't get it. So in verse 14, who are they that are with him? This group of heavenly host is the redeemed ones of the groom. According to Hebrews 12.23, when Jesus appears in the sky, riding his perfect white horse, the whole body of Christ will be right there with him. It does not necessarily mean that the bride of Christ will watch this horrid destruction of this battle to come, but we will be coming with him being made ready for our thousand-year reign with him. I am well aware of the two views of the position of the saints in this final battle. If it does mean that we will be fighting, it is one battle I am certainly looking forward to. But I do support the Hebrew laws, and Hebrew law says that the wife of a Hebrew husband is not to view the anger of her leader. This was the exact reason why God instructed Lot to tell his wife not to turn around and watch God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. The scripture often used to defend the saints' position fighting in this battle comes from Thessalonians, second book. And it says, For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. 
Now, even though those who support the idea that the Bride of Christ will fight in the Battle of Armageddon, I do not see that in the passage we just read. In any case, it is in this way we read this passage clearly revealing that it is Jesus alone who will be conducting this war. Because we, as his bridal members of Christ, were afflicted, and he comes to fight this battle to give us relief, employing, quote, his mighty angels in flaming fire. I find this passage to support the view of Christ and his mighty angels coming to do the warring for us. Nevertheless, the Bride of Christ does come with him to start the beginning of the end. Now let's get to our primary point in our passage today, and that is the death of the harlot. Verse 15 brings us back to the one who sits upon the waters, the scarlet harlot. She presents herself as the true church and her followers reinforce her depraved thinking. Christ's appearance with his followers quickly spoils her overwhelming desire to wear the gold crown. Because of this, the ten horns which you saw and the beast, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked, and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. That's verse 16. Yes, you heard that correctly. Her ten horned leaders turn on her, filled with hatred. They expose her for what she is. Take a few bites out of her and toss her into the fire. God himself puts this into these leaders' minds to fulfill his plan of removing the great harlot from the face of the earth. This proves even Satan's followers are not truly loyal to him. Things are beginning to backfire on Satan big time. But wait, there's more. With global religion out of the way, it doesn't mean the ten kings will be coming against Satan. They continue to propagate the lies of the Antichrist. Their service to him continues and will continue until... They are destroyed. Once the word of God is fulfilled through these ten leaders, they will continue to voluntarily place themselves and their kingdoms into the hands of the one world leader. The ten kings are simply switching their allegiance from the great whore to being directly under the Antichrist. Verse 18 shows us the kings had previously answered to her, but now they will answer to only one, Satan. In conclusion, we know the scarlet harlot is responsible for the death of the martyred saints through the ages. Her spilling innocent blood has come to a rest. Her lies of professing to be the bride of Christ is no more. Her acts of butchering and shedding of saints' blood have been beyond measure throughout all the ages. She deserves her demise, and it is now time for her partners in crime to get some of their own. Coming up next in number 61, 
we're going to be talking about the system of the Antichrist. One of my favorite chapters in the book of Revelation to discuss. In this teaching, we're going to talk about how God clearly describes the fall of Babylon. We need to carefully review the culture, worship, festivals, doctrines, and disciplines of the old Babylon. And it certainly would behoove us to take a walk through Babylonian history and see just how many pagan traits still run deep into our present society and religious infrastructure. Once we do this, we will have a clearer idea of just how easy it will be for the Antichrist to rebirth his system of governance. We hope that you join us for that teaching, but as for today, we thank you. Thank you for joining us, and we hope that we have been an encouragement to you in helping you and assisting you in understanding the book of Revelation. Until next time.